Brian always likes to get his money's worth. Amen. All right, we're going to start tonight once we get to our Bible lesson in Hebrews chapter 1. But before we do so, this is given me in Moldova. I was I was saved in 1976, started witnessing and preaching in 1977, started pastoring in 1981. I'm going to tell you what, what the, the greatest challenge is in my life and the greatest challenge I have in the ministry. My, my greatest challenge in life is with all the things that happen in life, staying properly motivated to serve Jesus Christ. I never have any struggle believing. I never have any struggle wanting to go and be with Him. I really don't, honestly, I really don't have that much struggle with the, you know, the, the world and, and all of that. I don't, I don't have any desire for those things. But to want to continue to want to serve Him the way I should serve Him is a continual struggle. It's a struggle because, quite honestly, I get tired of people rejecting what they need. Quite honestly, I get tired of caring more about people's souls than they care about their own souls. Quite honestly, I get tired of pouring my life into people who just, no matter what you do for them, something happens in the church, they turn their back on it and walk away. Quite honestly, I, I get worn out with lies about me and about our church in the newspaper. I get worn out with, with the lies on the people put on the Internet and text message and Facebook and all that. It, it wears you out. And when those, when those things start to weigh upon me, I find myself I'm not careful. I start spending more time with political things, or I start spending more time with secular things, or I start devoting more attention to, uh, to ju well, just to the things of this life and the cares of this life. And, and it is a constant, I'm just being honest with you, it's a constant struggle for me not to come to church. I love coming to church. Not to read the Bible. The Bible's a blessing to my heart. But to keep giving myself to people who don't respond as they ought to respond, but in, in reality respond like the Bible said they would. It's, it's difficult. And my, my greatest challenge as a pastor is to keep a group of people encouraged to serve the Lord who have family troubles and job troubles and distractions with the government and distractions with the neighbors and distractions with the kids and all of that. You just keep bringing our attention back and saying, yeah, but why would we quit serving God? Yeah, but why would we quit serving the Lord? And it's, let's just, let's be fair about it. If all of us could have stayed where we were at the peak of our zeal for Jesus throughout our lifetime, this would be a different country. If every, if every saved person, the high point they ever hit, if they could stay there, what a difference it would be. And, and the constant challenge is to say, come on, brother, don't quit. Come on, sister, don't give up. And so, so every now and then I come across something that really helps. 
And when I do, I, I want you to, to hear about it as well. A man named Dave, he writes this. This all started a number of years ago in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in South London. The Sunday morning service was closing and a man stood up at the back and raised his hand and said, Excuse me, Pastor, can I share a short testimony? The pastor looked at his watch and said, You have three minutes. You never know what you're going to get. You've got to be careful. The man proceeded with this story. I've just moved into this area. I used to live in Sydney, Australia. Just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives and I was walking down George Street. You know where George Street is in Sydney, going from the business area out to the colonial area. A strange little white-haired man stepped out from a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? I was astounded by these words. No one had ever asked me that. I thanked him courteously, and all the way home to London, this puzzled me. I called a friend, and thanked God he was a Christian, and led me to Christ. The Baptists loved testimonies like that. Everyone applauded and welcomed him into their fellowship. The pastor flew to Adelaide, uh, I was probably not pronouncing that right, Australia the next week. And ten days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came up to him for some counseling. He wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. She said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting some friends in Sydney and doing some last-minute shopping down George Street. A strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway and offered me a pamphlet. said, Excuse me, madam, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? I was disturbed by those words. When I got home to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me. I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. So I'm telling you that I'm a Christian. The London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice in two weeks, he had heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Church in Perth. When his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he asked the elder how he got saved. I grew up in this church from the age of 15. I never made a commitment to Jesus. I just hopped on the bandwagon like everyone else. Because of my business ability, I grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business trip to Sydney just three years ago. And a spiteful little man stepped out of a shop doorway and offered me a religious pamphlet and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? <laughs> I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder, but he wouldn't listen to me. I was seething with anger all the way home from Sydney to Perth. I told my pastor, thinking that he would sympathize, but he agreed. He'd been disturbed for years knowing I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. My pastor led me to Jesus after that encounter just three years ago. The London preacher threw, uh, flew home and was soon speaking at the Keswick Conventions in the Lake District of England. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of the teaching series, four elderly pastors came up and explained that they too had been saved between 25 and 30 years earlier through that same little man on George Street offering them a pamphlet and asking the same question. The following week, he flew to a similar convention in the Caribbean, where missionaries were holding a meeting. He shared the same testimonies. At the close of his teaching, three missionaries came forward and said they had also been saved between 15 and 25 years earlier by that same little man's testimony 
And the same question on George Street in Sydney. Next, he stopped in Atlanta, Georgia to speak at a naval chaplain convention. Here for three days, he spoke to over 1,000 naval chaplains. Afterward, the chaplain general took him out for a meal, and he asked the chaplain how he became a Christian. It was miraculous, he said. I was a raiding on a naval battleship, and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing some exercises in the South Pacific, and we docked at Sydney Harbor for replenishments. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I was blind drunk, got on the wrong bus, and by accident got off in George Street. As I got off the bus, I thought I saw a ghost as this man jumped out in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hand and said, Sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? The fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked sober, ran back to the ship and sought out the chaplain. He led me to Christ. I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his guidance. I am now in charge of 1,000 chaplains who are bent on soul winning today. Six months later, that London pastor flew to a conference for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote part of northeast India. At the end, he heard the head missionary took him to his humble little home for a simple meal. He asked how this man who had been a Hindu came to Christ. He said, I grew up in a very privileged position. I worked in the Indian diplomatic mission and I traveled the world. I am so glad for the forgiveness of Christ and the blood covering my sin. I would be very embarrassed if people found out what I got into. One period of diplomatic service took me to Sydney. I was doing some last-minute shopping laden with toys and clothes for my children. I was walking down George Street when a courteous white-haired man, little man, stepped out in front of me and offered me a pamphlet and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town, sought out our Hindu priest. He couldn't help me. But he advised me that to satisfy my curious mind, I should go talk to the missionary in the mission home at the end of the road. That was good advice because that day the missionary led me to Christ. I quit Hinduism immediately and began to prepare for ministry. I left the diplomatic service and here I am today by God's grace in charge of all these missionaries who have together led 100,000 people to Christ. Eight months later, that London pastor was preaching in Sydney. He asked the local Baptist minister if he knew of a little elderly white-haired man who handed out tracts on George Street. He replied, yes, I do. His name is Mr. Jenner, although I don't think he does it anymore because he's so frail and elderly. Two nights later, they went to meet him in his little apartment. They knocked on the door and this tiny, frail old man greeted them. He sat them down and made them tea. He was so frail that he was slopping the tea into the saucer as his hands shook. The London preacher sat there and told him of all these accounts from the three previous years. The little man sat with tears running down his cheeks and told him his story. I was a raiding on an Australian warship. I was living a reprobate life. In a crisis, I really hit the wall. One of my colleagues to whom I gave literal hell was there to help me. He led me to Jesus. And the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours. I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. As God gave me strength, I did that. 
Sometimes I was ill and couldn't do it, but I made up for it for the days I missed at other times. I wasn't paranoid about it, and I've done this for over 40 years. In my retirement years, the best place was on St. George Street, where I saw hundreds of people a day. I got lots of rejections, but a lot of people courteously took the tract. In 40 years of doing this, I have never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until you came here today. How could you give out all those tracts and all those people get saved? And he never knew one person had ever come to the Lord. And he just kept going. How do you know it hasn't done any good? How do you know it wasn't worth it? You know, I would say that he has to be committed to show gratitude and love for Jesus to do that for 40 years and not hear of any results. That simple little non-charismatic Baptist man witnessed to perhaps, by his accounting, 147,000 people. And as far as he knew, it didn't do any good. And yet what I found as I traveled the world was that the thousands and thousands that were saved through his ministry were probably just the tip of the iceberg. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Church, I thank you that for all these years, we've never lacked for people on the street corners. But many that once stood on those corners have ceased to do so. We've never lacked for people to knock on doors. We've never lacked for people to give out gospel tracts. But many that used to do so no longer do so. And I'd say a big reason why a lot of people quit is it doesn't seem to be doing any good. How do you know? It must do more good to witness than to not witness. And if we could just do it for the Lord's glory and leave the results to Him, how that would help us to keep going not get turned aside? Like you, I get discouraged. But I hope that you'll help me and I'll help you to shake it off and stay zealous for Jesus Christ. That encourages me. I never knew till tonight. How could all those people be saved and you not know it? One day we might just stand together at the judgment seat of Christ and say, Where'd all you people come from? Well, I was in Deland one time. One night I was on Church Street. Well, family went to the boardwalk once. Well, for about six months I went to Stetson and in my mailbox. Let's let time tell the tale. In the meantime, let's be out there telling people about Jesus. Amen. Father, help us not to be weary in well-doing. Father, help us not to be turned aside, not to be caught up.
and entangled in the affairs of this life. Not to lose sight of how worthy you are of having us speak on your behalf. God, would you help us to give out those tracts like we once did. To speak up for you like we once did. To be bold for Jesus like we once were. Lord, those who right now are on the the top of their game spiritually, I pray God you'd help them stay there as long as they can. And then may we rally and encourage them when they begin to slip just a bit. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, tonight we talk about Jesus Christ as the brightness, the brightness of God Himself. You know, the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That's what the Bible says. I have no reason to doubt it. Uh, I've taken uh, courses that taught evolution. I've had school teachers and professors that taught evolution. I've read books on evolution and seen movies about evolution all the rest of that. But I, I haven't seen anything that would make me doubt that God created the heaven and the earth in the beginning. Then I see that the earth that God created was void without form. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And as I read through my Bible, before God created the sun, a light in the sky to send light upon the earth, and the moon, a lesser light to rule the night, I read that what God had done in, with that darkness in the, in the building and the creating of that darkness, that firmament that He stretched out throughout those heavens, that He actually constructed this universe so that His glory would not be visible and evident to creation where sin had entered when Satan fell. And when Satan tempted that man and that woman and they, and they followed Satan into sin, that darkness increased and intensified so that for 4,000 years the only way that men could behold the glory of God was by absolute pure faith. They could not look into the sky and see the glory of God. The heavens were a declaration that he was glorious, but that firmament shielded his glory. He wrapped himself, the Bible said, in thick clouds, and he set his, his glorious throne in, in, uh, behind darkness, a, a veil, a glass through which we see darkly, even when we look to heaven by faith, we can only see the darkness. Men without faith, they look into the sky and they send their spaceships and their, and their photographic machines up into the heavens and they take pictures and everywhere they look they see only darkness and they say there must not be a God out here. We, we don't see this bright shining of His glory. And then one day, in the most remarkable of disguises... The glory of God appeared on this earth in a tiny little human body. That body was laid in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes and they called his name Jesus. And for 33 and one half years, or for 30 years, and, and about 30 and a half years maybe, the glory of God was still hidden and veiled. This time not behind a frozen expanse from a great flood, but this time behind a, a body of human flesh. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 1, 
and verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The glory of God was not manifest as man would have expected it to be manifest. So I I thought if God would show His glory, He'd do some great and mighty thing like what? Creating the heavens and the earth? He did that. And men rejected Him. By what? Hanging the sun, moon, and stars in their places and causing them to operate in their orbits so precisely that you can set your watch by them and chart a calendar thousands of years in advance and know where the sun is going to be on that day, 3,000 years in the future? What if God showed His glory by creating the plant life and then the fish of the sea and then the fowl of the air and then the beasts of the field and every man on earth knew that and still sinned against Him. When they sinned, He came in grace and in mercy and made coats of skin to cover them and drove them from the garden. And having been eyewitnesses To God walking on earth and and slaying an animal and, and clothing father and clothing mother. They couldn't get their own sons to believe it. Adam did and, or Abel did and Cain didn't. So my kids were okay until I sent them off to school. Nobody sent Cain to school. Well, if my kids, you know, like they got messed up because I let them go to Sunday school class. Nobody sent Cain to a Sunday school class. Cain didn't have a drug dealer on a street corner. He didn't have a television to watch. He didn't have a gang of kids down the street to mess him up. Cain went bad because his heart was bad. Cain and Abel grew up in the same house, the same mother, the same daddy. You can't make somebody believe it's not your fault they're an unbeliever. But they saw everything you saw. Noah stepped off that ark, having watched God drown the world. Noah stepped off that ark, having seen God save and preserve his family from a flood. Noah stepped off that ark and watched God restore the earth as rapidly as he created it in Genesis chapter number 1. And before you can turn a page, he's drunk and his son's cursed. The children of Israel watched God rain plague after plague after plague down on Egypt. They left Egypt on Passover night without a single dog barking. They got to the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea waters, led them through the waters of the Red Sea. He rained manna down from heaven twice a day. He made water come out of the rock. He drove their enemies out before them. And two out of a million and a half believed God and walked alive into that promised land. 
God showed miracles. God showed wonders. God showed power. God showed might. One day he decided to show his glory. And he wrapped himself up in a body of human flesh. And at 30 years of age, he began to open his mouth and speak. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, When Jesus spoke, the brightness of the glory of God was manifest on this earth. What an amazing thing. And after speaking the words of God with human lips for three and one half years, Jesus Christ laid down His life and in an act of love unmatched since the dawn of time, He died for sinners. And as Jesus Christ died upon the, earth, upon the cross... The brightness of the glory of God was manifest upon this earth. And to this day, fallen men say, If God would just show His glory, I'd believe. And we open the Bible, and we speak to them the words that Jesus spoke, and right before their very eyes is the brightness of the glory of God. And they refuse to see it. And from those scriptures we give them the eyewitness account. The verifiable historical record of Jesus dying on the cross to pay for their sins. And they see, they hear, they, they comprehend and then they refuse the evident manifestation of the brightness of the glory of God. I ask you that are saved tonight. Are you saved because God could create worlds? You are not. Are you saved because God could part waters and cause people to walk through them on dry land? You are not. Are you saved because God can send plagues of locusts and swarms of hornets to defeat enemies? You are not. You are saved tonight because the Son of God was willing to bear your sins in His body on the cross and because He was willing to save you by simple faith in what He said. And I tell you tonight, the brightness of God's glory has become evident to me. It's not the strength of His arm. It's not the wonder of His creation. It's not the might and force of His, of His wrath against His enemies. It's that God would speak to man the wonderful words of life. It's that God would commend His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm not saved by the miracles that God wrought. I'm saved because His Son died for me. I'm not saved because God did some super things that man couldn't do. I'm saved because He said, I'll tell you what. If you just hear my words and put faith in what I said, that faith that cometh by hearing and that hearing by the Word of God, I'll save you by grace through faith without works. Tonight we behold the brightness of His glory, not in what He made, but in what He did to redeem what He made. Not in His power to destroy it, 
to destroy it, but in his willingness to rescue it. Read it again from Hebrews, that first chapter. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, fire coming down from heaven, chariots of fire escorting them to glory, walls falling down, enemies running for their lives, angels wiping out armies, great Images and visions that, and riddles and mysteries that kings couldn't solve. Writing on the wall with a, a finger. All of these things that God did in the prophets. And yet, where are the believers? The Gentiles didn't believe. The chosen people didn't believe. It's 4,000 years of apostasy. With one man here and one man there and one woman here and one woman there. Every generation or so, somebody believes God. Everybody else, for the most part, is a bunch of reprobates. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world to being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. How would you recognize the brightness of His glory were it to appear? Many men have said, I am God, or I am a God, or I am a Christ, or I am a prophet. But eventually, the mask fell off. Eventually, the costume was removed, and guess what we found out? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Eventually, a slip of the tongue, eventually a misstep, Eventually a deed, eventually a desire revealed, aha, just another Adam with a big ego. Just another man deceiving men. But one day, one day, God wrapped up His glory in a little baby's body. And that baby went from lying in the crib to crawling across the floor, to toddling through the living room, to walking upright and strong, from childhood to teenage years, from teenage years to young adult, from the carpenter shop to the pulpit, from the pulpit to the public ministry, from the public ministry to the Garden of Gethsemane, from Gethsemane to the cross, without one time ever coming short of the glory of God. Without one time ever yielding to Satan's temptation, without one time ever desiring sin, without one spot, without one blemish, without one moment of defilement. And the Bible says, look, look on that cross. There is a man hanging there who is the brightness of the glory of God. 
Up until this moment, we could say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But now we behold one who is without sin. Then he must be the glory of God manifest in a body of human flesh. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Men say, women say, young people say, if God would just show me a miracle. And I answer them and they take offense. But I answer them scripturally, I'll show you the miracle. God loves you. That's the miracle. It doesn't display God's glory that He can make planets spin. Of course He can. He's God. It's no real display of God's glory that He can wipe out some army of dust specks. Of course He can. He's God. But that God would commend His love towards some little puny, flu-bug-infested creature that curses His name and mocks His holiness and ridicules His commandments, that God would love you while you go out of your way to insult His people and go out of your way to mock and ridicule and despise those that are witnessing for Jesus Christ, that He would love you? That's the miracle. While the glory of God was displayed when He commended His love toward me, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Friday afternoon, I'm standing downtown and a girl that escaped an angler. He couldn't get her in the boat, but he left his fish hook in her nose. A girl that was captured by cruel, evil people who branded her like a cow. They burned marks into her body. They must have tortured her. I don't know how she escaped, but she did. And she stood cursing. Foul, vile language. Cursing me. Because I had a Bible in my hand. Where's your God? I don't see any miracles, you blankety blank, 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 blank. You want to see a miracle? He loves you. He was willing to die for you. And with all that hatred and resentment you have in your heart right now for a man who's never done you harm just because he has the Word of God in his hand, God loved you enough to put your sins on His Son. There's His glory. That's the glory of God. It's not that he can create a fall and a spring and a winter and a summer and order it. Of course he can. He's God. But that he would love trash like the sons of Adam. That he would love a defiled and fallen race that would prefer any low-down, debasing, life-rotting sin to a holy God. That he would love them. That's his glory. You want to see a miracle? I'm saved. 
You want to see a miracle? Are you saved? There it is. You want to see His glory? You, little, little Miss Hateful. You, Mr. Ego Man. Going out of your way to mock and ridicule Christian witnesses. Jesus Christ would save you right now and give you everlasting life and adopt you into His family for absolutely free if you just turn your heart toward Him. That's the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4. The Bible says in verse number 1, Therefore, seeing we have, we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Can, can I just, I'm just going to pause for a moment. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm for everybody that's for Jesus. I am. I am, I am not at war. I do, I do not lift my hand against anybody that preaches the gospel. Okay? But part of the reason you get so discouraged by your lack of results, and part of the reason you get so downhearted because of all the opposition you receive, is because you minister the gospel biblically. Come on, let, let me, let's look at the verses again. Or verse 2. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. We're not going to tell you we're inviting you to a barbecue when we're inviting you to be preached at. We're going to say, would you like to come hear some preaching with a barbecue to follow? We're not going to say, do you want to come to a pizza party? We're going to say, would you like to come to Jesus? We're having a youth meeting this weekend. We've got a preacher coming to preach about Jesus. And afterward, there will be some pizza. We're not going to trick you into hearing the gospel. We're not going to deceive you and slip the, the plan of salvation in when you're not looking. We're not going to use craftiness. Now listen, I, what are you saying about that? I'm not saying anything about another church. I'm saying we're not going to hide Jesus behind clowns or balloons or soccer teams. He's too good for that. You want a balloon? Aha! That was Jesus back there. Check ya. Jesus is better than a balloon. You need a balloon? We'll give you one after church. We're inviting you to church. You say, well, the world doesn't want it. They're going to want it less when they find out. Listen, I've, one, one time in my life, one time, I, I, I fell for this. I'll never fall for it again. I'm working at a convenience store. 11 at night, 7 in the morning. These two guys came in. And they're nice guys. They're, they're in their 20s and... I'm 19, living on my own, eating what you got. Well, I wasn't eating ramen noodles. They didn't have that back then. I was eating cans of tuna, fix, uh, tuna fish and boxes of macaroni and cheese. Start out with hot dogs. You can only eat so many hot dogs, unless you're buck. Anyway, so these guys came in and said, man, you, 
How'd you like to come? My mom's going to barbecue some ribs tomorrow night. You want to come before you go to work? I don't know. I don't even know your mom. Oh, don't worry about it. You're a nice guy. We like coming to the store. You're always nice to us. Why don't you come on over and have some barbecue? Oh, man, that's great. I don't even know these guys are going to feed me barbecue. I got the barbecue after 45 minutes of Amway soap. Never again. Never again. You invite me to barbecue, I get there, you're going to put the ribs in my hand before I come through the door. Now, you know what? I, now, now, listen, it wouldn't matter if Amway got you as clean as the soap that costs one-tenth what Amway costs. If it got your, your whites whiter and your brights brighter, wouldn't have mattered. They tricked me. And I didn't want it. I resented the fact that they hid Amway behind barbecue. Don't tell me you used to sell Amway. Is that what you... <laughs> the, the altar's open all through the service. You, you, you welcome, come repent anytime you want. Now... now Sure as well to somebody here selling Amway. I don't care if you sell it or not as long as you tithe. But that's, uh, I, but I'm not coming. Anyway, I, I, I don't want to do that with the gospel. Here it is. You want it? It's Jesus. All right. Anyway, verse number three. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them to lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, our, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where is it? In the face of Jesus Christ. And here's what people don't get. When the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, it can't mean you're condemned because you're not as bright as He is. It can't mean you're condemned because He radiates and you don't. It can't mean you're condemned because He can create planets and you can't. That can't be the glory of God. Why would the Lord say, you are guilty because you've come short of the glory of God. What am I expected to do? Create animals? Create planets? Come on. Two passages now. What is the glory of God as seen in Jesus Christ? It's absolute sinless holiness. I can't measure up to that. You want to see the glory of God? Look in the face of Jesus Christ. There's a man without sin. He's the brightness of the glory of God. See, you see what this world wants? They want to see... Uh, you know, an explosion. They want to see a volcano. They want to see. They want to see God work a miracle. Here's a miracle: a man walked this earth for three decades plus and never sinned. He never came short of the glory of God. He was the manifest image of God, the glory of God on display. And when you get saved, guess who comes to live inside you? The glory of God in all His brightness. How about that? 
You know why people can't, you know why they don't you know you're a Christian? You know why you've got to tell them? You know why you have to witness? Because as sure as God is on the other side of this universe, but men can't see Him, and as sure as God was in Jesus Christ, but men couldn't see God inside Jesus Christ, so Christ, who is God, lives in you who can see Him. So we've got to speak. We've got to wait. Well, people just see Jesus in me. They can't. No more than they can look up in the sky and see God. But He is the brightness of His glory. Come to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. The brightness of His glory is Jesus Christ. Revelation 1. Verse number 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This is John beholding Jesus with the veil removed. And he said, when I looked his direction, the light was brighter than the sun. What a thought. Revelation 22. I'm sorry, 21. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Verse 23. And the city, this new Jerusalem, had no need of the sun, neither the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. If God just removed the veil of that body of flesh in which Jesus dwelt in His life, in His death, in His burial, in His resurrection, in His ascension, in His second coming. If, if Jesus were to take off the veil of His flesh, you wouldn't need any lights in the heavens. He would replace the sun. That's how bright He is. That brightness is not His glory. His glory is His sinlessness. But you couple that brightness with that glory, He could... Well, I'll tell you what He could do. Come to Acts 9 and Acts 26. Acts 9 and Acts 26. Why doesn't He just show His glory like that? We'll, uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. Acts 9. Acts 26. Verse Acts 9, 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. So, well, the way those people talk to me, I don't want to witness to them anymore. They might be like Saul, about to get saved and start preaching the gospel. Don't stop. One of the high priests desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, and if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him 
a light from heaven. Verse 5, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. Verse number 9, or 8, I'm sorry. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes was open, were open, he saw no man. Verse 9, and he was three days without sight. Jesus, just for a moment, pulled back the veil of his flesh. And Saul of Tarsus looked up and saw the glory of God, not in his words and not in his love, but unveiled. And it knocked his eyeballs out. It blinded him. So he, he must have just look, looked into the sun. Acts 26, well he did, but it was S-O-N, not S-U-N. Acts 26, verse 9. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing also I did. In Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And, they, uh, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday. Where's the sun at midday? It's at its peak in the sky, shining as brightly as it can shine. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. You know why they don't need the sun anymore? Because the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, were it unveiled, it would outshine the sun. Saul said, at midday this light brighter than the sun shine, knocked our eyes out. How about that? Tonight, tonight, the glory of God is shining in the third heaven. But the firmament veils that light. You can't see Him. He came to this earth in a body of flesh, and, and that light of that glory of God was in Christ, but you couldn't see it. Every man and woman that's saved in this world, Christ has come to live within them. And 2 Corinthians says, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ lives inside us. It's veiled. You can't see it. Why? Why? Because God showed man over and over and over again His power, His might, His glory, and man did not believe. So God said, all right, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll hide my glory, and I'll show you my love through my word. And if you'll believe that by faith, maybe, maybe that'll work. And you know what happened? You read Genesis, 1,500 years of human history, and seemingly find about a 25, maybe 30 people that ever put faith in God. You read Exodus, 
Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, hundreds of years of human history. Moses, Caleb, Joshua. That's about all you can find, believe in God. Of all the kings, three or four are outstanding because they believed in God. The rest are all reprobates. And God says, all right, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll veil my glory. I'll shut down the miracles. I'll stop with the wonders. And I'll just send men out into the world to tell people about my great love. And from that day to this, millions and millions and millions and millions of people have put their faith and trust in God. Miracles don't win people. The love of God wins them. What they see with their eyes doesn't change them. It's what they hear in their ears and believe in their heart that makes them new creatures. But if he wanted to, if he wanted to, the Lord could just give Saul of Tarsus a little peek and blind him. If he wanted to, the Lord could just show his glory to a man like John and he'd fall at his feet like a dead man. If he wanted to, he could just reach over and turn off the sun and the moon, turn it to blood and cause the stars to fall and then open the door of heaven let Jesus come out on a white horse and just a little glimpse of that glory as that door opens is enough for every eye to see Jesus. And one day the Lamb will be the light of that city. Can I show you the prophecy and we'll be finished? Come to Exodus. Exodus chapter 34. Thirty-three. I'm sorry, Exodus 33. Moses is standing on the mountain. And the Bible says in verse number 18, He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Moses on the mountain says to God, I want to see the glory of God. And he said... I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God said, all right, watch this. I am good. I am gracious. I am merciful. That's my glory. And when Jesus Christ showed up on this earth, He was good, He was gracious, He was merciful. And when we look at His goodness and look at His grace and look at His mercy, we behold the brightness of His glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I want God to show me a miracle. Has He been gracious to you? Has He been merciful to you? Then you've seen one every day of your life. 
the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, tonight we are thankful that we don't live in a day